Good. Now, I wanted to start out with a, a, with a question, see if I can remember. I read this a long time ago, and I thought, this is really good. So I've got to commit this to memory. It goes, it is my life, my religion, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress. I work at it in the daytime. I dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows instead of lessens as time goes on, and I am inseparably bound to it. Therefore, I cannot read a book, see a movie, or hold a conversation without relating it to this cause which both drives and guides my life. That's pretty good, isn't it? The, 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 a picture of, of commitment. And that's what I'm hoping we'll, we'll be tonight. That's what I'm hoping will happen in our life. And so let's begin with a prayer and hope we can move toward that spirit of commitment. Our Father, we want to say thank you for bringing us together this day. We ask, Lord, that as we break open your word, that the Holy Spirit will be the true teacher, soften our hearts, have your way in our life, and we pray as a result of being here this day that we will be better uh, prepared ambassadors for Christ. We We will have a stronger commitment to the Christian cause, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Guide us and help, help us through this exercise and through this study. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today, ladies and gentlemen, I have a number of verses here I want to read to you, share with you, because this is the special day of Good Friday, a time when we remember uh, our Lord Jesus and, his, and um, the crucifixion taking place. And actually, in the Bible, this is one of the few events that all four evangelists record. And so tonight, I want to read with you and have you read along with me some excerpts from all four evangelists, how they saw this. Because many of them, many things they see exactly the same, and others have a little different view of of actually what was taking place. Uh, We're going to find out as we look into this that... um, it was obviously a very, very difficult time for the Lord Jesus Christ, but this was the cost of our salvation for our justification. The Lord had to go to Calvary's cross for you and me. Why? Because you are a dirty, rotten sinner. Not me, you. No, I'm just kidding. I am too. We are, by choice and by nature, sinners. And so um, we're going to look at this, see what happened on what we call Good Friday, which is really a barbaric act actually takes place. And um, so we're going to be looking into this. Um, you look and you think, now, here's Jesus having to go through this event. You already know what it is, Christ obviously going to the cross. But you think about the life of Jesus, first of all. Here's one who obeyed his parents. He healed the sick. He taught mercy and patience and tolerance, and yet... He never compromised with sin. And what does he get for all this? The cross. The cruel, nasty cross. Well, today we want to remember some of this and look at it and see its meaning for us today. Um, He he suffered from great injustice. And isn't that frustrating? When you see injustice taking place, whether it be for you or others, and here we see about the Lord Jesus— we see that he suffered a great injustice during this. We also find that this was a time of great humiliation and insult. Even before he goes to the cross, Jesus is insulted numerous times. And so I want to look at some of that with you tonight. So in order to do this then, here's what we find. Now we all know about Barabbas, how the people chose to to free Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Now isn't that frustrating? Because, you know, Barabbas, what was it, crook, you know, what they call no good Nick or what have you, a low life, Barabbas, and yet the people would rather have him to be freed than Jesus, who lived a perfect life and actually cared for the people. So you talk about something which is very frustrating. This is, this is the kind of thing we're going to be looking into tonight, and we're going to see that there's a lot of humiliation and insult aimed at the Lord Jesus. And, you know, I don't know about you, but that's... I, I can withstand a lot of things, but, but um, well, humiliation is not something you want. Insults is not something you want to receive. But our Lord received many of them because that's part of the cost for your redemption and for mine. So we're going to look at some verses that bring this out. Um, concerning the insult and humiliation, 
uh, we're going to see some verses I want you to turn to, or I'll read them to you. If you want to turn to them, that'll be good. I'll, I'll be patient as we turn to them, but there's a lot of them here, and I just want to comment on them, that we can be familiar with exactly what's written in God's Word, that we don't add to it or take away from it. The first thing I want you to look into is Matthew chapter 27. Here we're looking at the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus and some comments about it. And I'm simply going to be reading from Matthew chapter 27 and verse 17 as we were thinking about the Lord Jesus on Calvary's cross. Here's what we find. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will you that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? Duh. Now, who would you think they would want to free? But it depends who you're talking to. If you're talking to a crowd of sinners, they're going to have more compassion on Barabbas than they would the Lord Jesus. Well, as we continue on in this context, going down to verse number 20, what do we find? But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Can you imagine that? You know, I've often wondered, what does Barabbas look like if he, you know, had a physical, if he was standing here, what would he look like? But there was something about Barabbas that the people said, hey, we want to, we, we want to free. And you know what that is? The sin nature within mankind who would choose Barabbas over the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it defies logic, defies reason, but yet that was their choice. The second thing we observe here is, at this point, is Jesus' march to Calvary, or his walk approaching Calvary. During this, more insults aimed at the Lord Jesus. I'm looking here at Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. Now we got a, a rowdy group brought together. And, what the, and you know when a rowdy, especially a rowdy group of men, but then a rowdy group of soldiers who feel like messing with you, it's not going to be a very nice time. I don't know, have any, anybody been in a group like that where you were like outnumbered and you had some guys that are really frisky and sort of... I've been there once or twice. It's not a nice thing. It's actually, it's a very scary thing. And here the Lord Jesus was... This is what we see here. Matthew chapter 20 says... Matthew 27, verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered under the whole band of soldiers, and now they did about eight things to him. Number one, stripped him. The Lord Jesus being stripped. Secondly, put a scarlet robe on him. So they're going to get ready to have some fun at the expense of the Lord Jesus. Thirdly, they plated a a crown of of thorns and put it upon his head. Have you seen pictures of these thorns? These things are long and narrow, and they put that on him and press it down. Well, you can imagine what that is. So they pressed this thing on his head. Fourthly, they put a bed of a, a, a reed in his right hand, and then with that, they, they, they bowed the knee before him, and then they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So again, they're you know, it's ridiculing, ridicule and mockery. And I would ask you, think back when you were the, an object of ridicule and mockery. We get that as Christians, don't you, sometimes? Uh, you may pass out some tracts, and, and the wrong people go, Oh, you're one of these Jesus freaks. You've probably had those. And... Um, you know, so that's a little embarrassing, and it's, you, know, and you get, get mocked. And as a Christian, as we reach out to share Christ or live the Christian life, come on, Don, I remember this many times. Come on, Don, have a drink with us. No, I don't want to get, come on, what's the matter? You, can you sissy? That's, you, know, you get that kind of, I'm sure you've all had it. And this is what our Lord Jesus is going through. They mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. The seventh thing we see here. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. So they spit on him. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? Of course, he's outnumbered. What's he going to do? 
but they spit on the Lord Jesus. They smote him on the head, punched him. And after that, they they, they mocked him, they took the robe off from him, and put his own raiment on him, and led him away to crucify him. So Jesus, if you think this is bad, us pushing you around and mocking you and spitting on you, if you think this is bad, come along with us. We're going to take you somewhere. (laughs) And they're heading right for Calvary. But you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ put up with all this. And and think about it. Here he is, God in the flesh. He could have gone to those guys and gone, anybody want to bother me? But he withstands all that. He endures all this because he knew you and me and all of his elect, if we're going to be rescued, he's got to go to the cross and shed his blood in a very cruel and harsh way. And these are the things just leading up to the cross. This is not even the cross yet, just leading up. So he has intimidations and threats. He's harassed, humiliated, embarrassed, even before he gets to the cross. This is all part of the payment for our sin. Now I'm looking here in Luke, see what the other evangelists have to say about this event. So if you look into Luke 23, verse 25, I'll just start reading. You can write it down if you want to, or you know, if, if you can turn there fast enough, that's good. But Luke 23, 25 tells me, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired but he delivered Jesus to their will. In other words, they let Barabbas go, and they're, they're going to hold Jesus and deal with him. Continuing on, <clears throat> we're going to look now for just a moment at the scourging. of. So he goes through this hum- humiliation, intimidation, but there's more before he gets to the cross. And the next thing I want to share with you and look at here is, is scourging. The scourging that the Lord Jesus had, even before he goes to the cross, even after all this humiliation and intimidation and mockery, now he has to deal with scourging. And you see this in Matthew 27 and verse 26 tells us this. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus... He delivered him to be crucified. So here they're getting ready, moving Jesus closer and closer to the act of crucifixion. Now, let's talk for a moment about that word crucifixion, and literally the word crucified. It is the word garello, garello, if you take that back to the Greek rendering, and it means to whip or to lash, you know, to have a whip and to whip him. Is that, that's what that scourging means. You're get, getting a whip. <clears throat> has, <clears throat> has anybody ever been whipped here? I, I never have. I hope I never do. I've seen it. It's you know ungodly thing. And our Lord went through this. Now we know this. <clears throat> More about this whipping. Um, for, the word fargello description goes on this way. Under the Roman method of scourging, a person was stripped and tied in a binding posture to a pillar or stretched on a frame. The scourge was made of leather thongs weighed with sharp pieces of bone or lead, which tore the flesh of both the back and the breast. So that's what discouraging is. But it's not just one person whipping him. There's a crowd of people around. And you know that they were yelling, they were harassing and saying, no doubt, nasty things about and to Jesus, and ridiculing, mockery, and now the whipping. Going to looking at Mark's account. What does Mark have to say about this? Mark 15, 15, and he says this. And so Pilate willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. So now here's 
Mark, making his remarks about this scourging of the Lord Jesus. John reports it this way, John 19.1, when Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. So we find that the evangelists are all reporting the same thing. Jesus was scourged. Even before he gets to the cross, he goes through this. So therefore he has intense pain inflicted on him. And again, here is the difficult part. The only person that ever, perfect person that ever lived was the Lord Jesus, living a life of perfection. Now we know, yes, he was the son of God, to be sure. He's much more than we are. But still, even in the flesh, living a perfect life. And he's the one that's getting scourged. Unjustice, injustice we're seeing here taking place. Well, here's the fourth thing we observe from this account. He was commanded to carry his cross. So after the beating, you can imagine how your back would feel and all this. Now, here's your cross. Take it to Calvary. But wait a minute. We have to add something here. Because as we look carefully at the writing, we find John 19.17 tells us, and he, meaning Jesus, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull which is called, in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Matthew's account tells us, and as they came came out, they found a man. This is something new. He had something new. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. So now we see Jesus had the cross to bear, but he had some help. And, and now, why did he have to have help? Well, I'm thinking. He's got the cross. They want to punish Jesus, so why give him some help? <clears throat> Until you research the cross. What was this cross? And what we learn is this. The cross weighed generally approximately 300 pounds. This was not a twig he was carrying. It was around 300 pounds. The beam, the cross beam, weighed approximately 50 to 100, uh, 50 to 70 pounds. And the rest of the weight of the cross was around 250 to, to, they actually say 300, 300 pounds. It goes on to say that the Eastern Orthodox Church, they say that the cross was made of three different kinds of wood. It was mainly of cedar, some pine, and some cypress. So here our Lord's carrying this gigantic. Now you figure, how would that happen? If he had someone helping him, still, how would you do this? You, okay, you carry one and, uh, and I'm going to carry it like this? No. I think you do see some pictures of Jesus carrying a cross. And normally, with a cross, where they, where they, when, when they're too convenient, he carries that on his shoulder. So if two of them were carrying it, my guess is, at the cross beam, it's on Jesus' shoulder, and at the end, near the end of the perpendicular pole, maybe the other guy's holding this end of it, going this, but 300 pounds, that's going to be quite a job. But that's what we're seeing here. And we pointed out there's a little surprise. There's a surprise person in all of this, and we made mention of him, Simon. When we're talking about <clears throat> the cross, Very rarely do you see any discussion about this man, Simon. Well, who's Simon? How does he show up at a significant time of history at the crucifixion of Jesus, and this man shows up? I'm looking at Matthew 27, 32. It says, as they came out, they found a man, I read this, of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they they compelled him to bear his cross. So the Roman guards, I'm guessing it's the Roman guards, Compelled Cyrene, who's just an innocent citizen there, walking by, help him carry the cross. And so, so we find here that Simon becomes part of this. Now, think about this. If you're him, think if you're him. You're, you know, we don't know anything about him. Other, he just happened to be there when all these things are taking place. Now, was he there intentionally to watch Jesus? Maybe he was a believer in watching this. Or maybe he was just walking by and just happened to be there. But the point is, he goes down into history. <laughs> he really didn't do much except show up 
and was willing to cooperate, really not out, he was told to, you know, by the guard to, to help Jesus with the cross. So here we see almost a life message in Simon. He's, he has a life message. You realize that? He was there at the crucifixion of Christ. He actually helped. And this happened suddenly. Simon's just, you know, either standing there watching or moving or going somewhere, but suddenly the Roman guard or someone taps him on the shoulder and says, come here, i got a job for you. And you're not going to tell the guard no. <laughs> and here he's in the middle of all this. So was his, was his participation random? Was it arbitrary? Well, it was, it was sudden. It was not actually planned, but there he is. And so we, we're talking about this man, Simon. Now think about this. You know, in principle, the same thing could happen to you. Tomorrow you could wake up and you'd be going about your business and something extraordinary occur right by you and you're... And, you know, you're talking to the people, or you're, and these things, bam, they could happen. Just like, and I'm sure maybe some of you may have a story, how, you, how something happens suddenly, and you're there. And you're in the middle of an important story, uh, some significant event, and something sudden ap- appears, and you are there. You know what to do to be aware of that? Always be ready. What does that tell us about Simon? There's a lesson in Simon's life. And the lesson that I see in his life is for you and me to be ready to serve the Lord, to follow him, maybe to witness for Christ, maybe to help a poor person. Because a lot of times, you know, as we're going through our day, we're into our day. You know, we have our list of things we're going to do, things I'm going to go to, and I'm I'm focused on that. And when we're doing that, there are times things cross our path and we need to adjust. Our plans need to change. But if we're not in our head, ready, as I walk out the door, conscious of and ready to live for Jesus, maybe to pass out a track, to help someone, if I'm not sort of mentally ready for this, then when something does come up, you know what, I I just walk right past it. Don't even see it many times. So it's good before we go out the door to take care of the business of the day, make sure we have our devotions, make sure we've talked with the Lord, it's good to make sure you got a track or two in your pocket, maybe carry a little Bible, because you never know who you're going to come across. You never know what kind of situation you're going to be confronted with. And you know what? Your life is significant because you know the Lord. And so things don't come into your life by accident. They're planned by God Almighty. And there could be a person or someone who, in God's plan and his sovereignty, wants this person witnessed to, and he chooses you to be the one to do it. And so we need to be ready to this, to be ready to be faithful for the calling of the Lord and to be engaged. That's the lesson that I see from this man here, this man Simon, who we very rarely hear about, but he has a great life story to share. As we go on with this, you know, I can remember going to, um, where did I go to? I went, I was, um, went to a store, actually it was a gas station, and a, a guy drove up, and I'm waiting to get gas. And the guy comes over and he says, um, "Say, could you could you help me?" Well, well, I think I'm touching the wrong thing here. Pull us up too tight. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. See what that does. This. So, where was I here? Okay, so I'm at the gas station, and a guy comes up to me, and I could tell he was disturbed. He was angry, and uh, you you could just tell that. He said, buddy, could you help me? What? What? I need to get to my daughter. She's in Louisville, Kentucky, and I don't have the gas to get there. I'm on empty. Could you possibly help me get some gas? Now, a lot of times you run into that, and they're just con artists wanting to get, and get something. But sometimes they're telling you the truth. I didn't know which one this was, but you know what? I said, you know what? I'm not going to take a chance. Yeah, I'm going to help the guy out, and if I lose $20 in the process, so what? Because I'm going to give him the gospel. Because what happens? When somebody asks you to do something for them, what do you have? You have favorable attention. That's the time you want to get the gospel out. You know, do, do shovel the snow for someone or go to the store, do something for somebody, now you're ready to give them the gospel. So anyway, you know, I helped him with the gas, 
And then before he left, I had the track with me. He said, here, I want to give you some good news to read. You know, and gave it to him. And he got in the car and went off. I don't know. He may have gotten thrown out the window, or he may have got it and went, got saved. We don't know. But the point is we need to be ready. Be ready for various opportunities that come across our path. <sighs> Moving on with this, um, other things I wanted to share with you. The Lord may call you to do something. Here are two verses I found to be helpful in my life to have courage to do things when they happen spontaneously. And that is Philippians 4.13, right? We all know what that is, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because I don't know about you, but when something comes on me suddenly, I sort of pull back, cringe, and get defensive. But I need to be bold and to know, have it in the back of my head. No matter what comes across my path, I can deal with it. Because I've got the Lord, Philippians 4.13. And I think often of the verse, Acts 20, 24. None of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy. None of these, and notice that language that Paul says, none of these things move me. Question, what has moved you this week? Has something come up? When an event occurred, or someone said something, and it moves you. <laughs> You've got you fighting mad or angry or what have you. And Paul says what? None of these things moving, neither count on my life dear unto myself. That's the key right there. I don't count my life dear. I'm going to live my life for Christ. Now, if that means an early death, so be it. If it means I get beat, so be it. I'm single-minded. I'm going to serve the Lord until he takes me home. Now, if that means he takes me home tomorrow, okay. If it means, you know, whatever, whatever it means. And see, that's what we've got to be like. We've got to go out the door in the morning with that mindset. I'm going to serve the Lord regardless of what happens. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. That's irrelevant. I'm serving the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful verse there? And um, so I wanted to share that with you. That's Acts 20, 24. None of these things move me. And I'm thinking, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, see, what moved me this week? <laughs> anyway, I'll go on to that now. All right, let's move on here because time's passing by. The fifth thing I want to share with you Let's talk for a moment about the crucifixion itself. What can we say about the crucifixion? What did the, what did the four Gospels tell us about this crucifixion? Here it is, Matthew 27, 30, 35. And it says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And we see Christ on the cross fulfilling prophecy. How could, how could you make this happen by, you know, the unbeliever? They come up with all these reasons why you can't trust the Bible. And they'll say, oh, well, he's, he's acting here and blah, blah, blah. But you know, when you see prophecy like this being fulfilled, there's no way you can arrange for that to happen. There's no way that can be a trick. <laughs> and we find this very... the. the Crucifixion of our dear Lord, fulfilling all kind of prophecy. We're going on here, Mark chapter 15, verse 24. He's got something to say about this. And when they had crucified him, again, think of that crucifixion. You know, you're you're, you're, um, like this, right, as as we know. Now, there's two pictures of of a crucifixion. Some of them are like this, when his arms are like even with the ground. A lot of them, his arms are like this. I'm not sure <laughs> if I know the difference or if we can know the difference, but neither case, we do know he's hanging on that cross with nails in his hands and in his feet. That we do know. And um, so Mark 15:24, and when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them that every man should take. So they wanted his clothes. So they're gambling. Let me, let me take his top here. I'll take this. And they're, and they're gambling about this, showing total and complete, obviously, disrespect for the person of the Lord Jesus. Now, Luke, Dr. Luke, 2333, and when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. So that's... Dr. Luke, 
you know, a medical man, and he knew, he understands some of this better than others. And he's making his testimony as to what he observed. And then we have John, John 19, verses 17 and 18 declare the following. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called, in the Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, one, either, one on either side and Jesus in the midst. Now, there's interesting things about this. You know, there are books about, obviously, about the crucifixion of Christ, written by doctors, you know, Christian doctors. You, know, you, you can get this online. Go online and you can put down Christian doctor and the crucifixion. And they will give testimony from from medical standpoint about the crucifixion. And the description that you see in the Bible is exactly what you would expect. And especially the part where he has water and blood coming out from the side. That's evidence that he's, he's dead or he's dying. And, um, and how did Jesus ultimately die? By suffocation. Now certainly he bled a lot. But the cause of death was he suffocated because he was on that cross. You know, if you're hanging, you, get in the, you can't breathe unless he was able to pump his feet up a little bit and get air and then sort of sag down and hold that for a while. But can you imagine living like that? Well, he went for what? would we say? Six hours? And um, yeah, so you, there's a lot of medical information you can gain. Research that. The crucifixion of Christ and how the Bible describes it and the medical people who... Who read the Bible and know medicine will tell you this is exactly what happens. We have here, um, let me see, going on with this. Next thing, there's another person, another surprise person enters into the fray. Now, we, all have, we already had Simon. There's another person involved. Matthew chapter 27, verse 32. And as they came out, no, wait, no, I gave you that one before. Um, okay, let me move on for a minute. That was, I was going to repeat myself, so don't let me do it. Let me go on to another, the next subject here. The next, the sixth thing we see taking place is the women. The women, and Jesus acknowledges the women who follow him as he's going to the cross. There, there is a group of women following him, and he acknowledges them, and he says this to the women. This is Luke 23, 28. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, many times, or several times, we see in Scripture where Jesus gives this warning. Even before he went to the cross, he would say, you know, He'd say something about the future, which would be detrimental. Say, watch for this, be careful for that. Now, as we try to put history together, what happened in 70 AD? You know, the, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, right? Jesus knew this was going to take place, and so he prophesied it. Now, he may be making reference to that right here. 70 AD, we know that Titus and the Roman soldiers came into Jerusalem and leveled the place. The only people who escaped were those who ran out of the city, up in the mountains, for safety. And it was a total destruction. And of course, then we know that Israel was without a home until May 14, 1948. So from 70 AD till May 14, 1948, Israel without a home. <laughs> That's quite a, quite a situation. Of course, what did they do? They survived? They learned how to survive and, and came back. And, and, of course, they're there now by the grace of God. And, you know, there are great works taking place. there. we don't hear a lot of it. But there are people, Jewish people, realizing, seeing Christ as the Messiah. That's taking place. Maybe not as large a scale as we would like, but it is happening. And who knows what's going to take place in the future. We can get into that, a lot of prophetical things. But tonight, I just want to stay uh, with this with this tonight. Now, talking about the women. As we look through scripture, women play a major role 
in the ministry, a major role in the spreading of the gospel, a major role in the Old Testament. God always had his godly women there playing a major role. Here are these names. You'll know them. Of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Ruth, the Moabite, whole book named after her. Mary Magdalene, we know her story. Rachel, the wife of Jacob. Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Deborah, a judge of Israel. Esther, ruled Israel as a Jewish queen. Miriam, the prophetess of Aaron's sister. Sarah, Abraham's wife. Elizabeth, remember Elizabeth? She was too old to conceive, right? Until John the Baptist showed up. <laughs> and she, had, you know, she was able to, but another woman playing a major role in the, in the gospel. Priscilla, a powerful leader within the church. Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and of Lazarus. And then many, many more. The word of, now here's the thing. The word of God celebrates women in a great way. But the unbeliever would tell you just the opposite. Those you know, who are against Christ, against the word of God. Well, the Bible puts down women. When you hear somebody say that, you know they don't know what they're talking about. They've heard somebody else say that. It sounds good, so they're going to repeat it. But it's just the opposite. Wherever the word of God goes, women are treated with respect and honor. It's just the opposite. Where the Bible is not found, that's when women are reduced to almost slaves in many countries. You go to, go, go to a non-Christian country and observe how women is treated. Now, we've gone to, we've done a couple missionary journeys, one in Africa, uh, some in the Caribbean islands. And when you go to areas where they're not Christianized, it's a total different world out there. Praise God. You, you know, we look at America and we complain, that blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you what, go to some other country and see what that's like. And you know what? You'll come back here kissing the ground. Does America have problems? Yes, it does have a lot of problems. And we need to pray for it every day. But compared to other nations that do not have their Christian tradition, and you've got a whole different situation to deal with, and it's, it's not a nice one. Moving on then, seventh thing I want to observe here is that Jesus is stripped of his clothing. And we see this in Luke twenty three thirty four, And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled. That was a prophetical statement. I believe I read that to you before. The eighth thing I have written down here then is actually being nailed to the cross. Now, that's a gruesome thing. Think, okay, that, and that gruesome. Your hand there and a spike going through there. I mean, who wants to talk about this? But that's part of the gospel. You know, I'd rather just forget it and think about something else. But that's not the gospel. The gospel of Christ has these things in it. And if I am a man of God preaching his word, I got to give it. Don't, think, don't want to do it much, but I got to do it. When I come across it, I got to do it. So the eighth observation we're making is the nailing of the cross, of, his, of, him to the, of Jesus to the cross. Mark 15, 25. It was the third hour, Mark says, it was the third hour, and they crucified him on the third hour. Well, I did some research on that the third hour. When exactly was this? When was Jesus crucified? How many hours was he on the cross and all that? Now, here's a little statement. I'll just read it to you quickly. It says, uh, however, the Jewish day started at sundown, but hours were counted from sun up, which would be roughly 6 a.m. So the third hour when Jesus was crucified would be three, three hours after sunup or about 9 a.m. The sixth hour, when the darkness descended, would be roughly noon. And the ninth hour, when Jesus died, would be about 3 p.m. And, you know, so that's one scientific explanation as they researched this. But that's what that means. So Jesus was on the cross roughly six hours, nine in the morning till till three in the afternoon. Now, not exactly, I don't think it's exactly, but it's you know, roughly, that's, the, that's what we have here. So Jesus gets nailed to the cross. And I've often thought, what, you know, how can we explain that? How could, how could somebody going to put a nail on my, a, a spike in my hand and then have your weight hanging on that? Whew. And, so, and I, I'm sort of dramatizing this because many times we talk so many, off, 
So many times we talk, well, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and go, yeah, yeah. But you really don't really realize what you're saying when you're saying Jesus, and, and to, it's something even worse. The spiritual aspect of it for Jesus was even worse. Here, him being the son of God, sinless, and taking on human flesh, and, you know, the sacrifice was him, we probably can't, don't know what that is. But we do understand something of the physicality of it, despite going through the hand, and hanging there, the sun beating down on you. Who knows how many bugs are flying? You, know, those, you ever get to, on a hot summer day, you get the buds, zzz, 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 and Jesus bleeding to attract all those creatures. So it would be a nasty scene. The ninth thing we see, and I'll be closing here quickly. <clears throat> Jesus acknowledges his mother. Can you imagine being in this condition? And he remembers to acknowledge his mother. And we see this in John 19, 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, we know that, that to be John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold your son. Verse 27. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. So that was John, the mother of Jesus. John took the mother of Jesus, and cared for her because obviously Jesus was not going to be there. And so, but you think about the, this mist of dying and like he is, and he's thinking about caring for his mother. That tells you, you know, Jesus was one who cared, cared for others, caring, making sure his mother's cared for while he's on the cross. So I just thought that was a very interesting observation there, that he's caring for his own mother, and you know, sometimes that reminds me. Sometimes I think we as Christians become so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. You know, I'm following Jesus, you know, and I'm oblivious to what's going on around me because I'm following the Lord Jesus. Well, that's good, but also we have to be in touch with the world as well, knowing how to relate Jesus to the world, knowing how for ourselves how we relate to the world. And so we really need to have both. Yes, being in touch with Jesus, but also being aware of what's going on around me, so that I can relate the Lord Jesus to others. And then, number 10. We've only got 12 of these, so we're almost done. Number 10, of course, Jesus dies. The Son of God dies. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, meaning he died. Now, Jesus died, then what? Just, now, I try to recite this. I, I know this, but sometimes I try to recite it and I messed it up. So I hope I can do it right here. Um, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, which was um, keyed by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And the next phrase is, he descended into hell. And, you know, we can speculate, what's he, what's he doing in hell? He descended into hell, and then, then I lost my brain. Anyway, so, you know, you know the Apostles' Creed, how it goes on. But it does make that, st- one, one version of the Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell. There's another version that doesn't, it, that doesn't put that in there. Uh, but... Um, so this is what we understand happened to Jesus. He descended into hell, and then other parts of the Bible says he preached the spirits. And, and then we know ultimately he ascends up into heaven to his heavenly home. And now he, now he serves as our prophet, our priest, and our king from a heavenly throne. Having gone through all the baloney that's on this earth, he's now in heaven, and he's going to take us and bring us to heaven too one day. Isn't that nice? One day, think of all the difficulties you may have had to deal with today. Uh, maybe you're dealing with an illness or a sickness or you have a financial problem or a personal problem with someone or a marriage issue or this or that. You know what? Hang in there because you have relief coming. <laughs> that is, we have heaven waiting for us. And what, is, what does it tell us? First Peter 1 Peter 1.4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in arenas, or heaven, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that a wonderful first promise? to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. We don't even know what that is. Everything we know is defiled. To an inheritance, 
incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved. You know, there's a place for every one of us. It's reserved for you and for me because, what, because Jesus went to that cross. And we're going to find out, well, next week we'll talk about next week, our church services, we'll talk about what happened three days later. Our Lord goes to the cross, we know he's buried, and he resurrects, and we'll, you know, that'll be talked about next week. Well, n- let me go back to this for a moment before I conclude. Christ on the cross, he dies, he's taken down, and that's recorded in John 19, verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, new character in this whole event, being a disciple of Jesus, but now this is strange about Joseph Arimathea. Did you know this about him? It goes on to say, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. So Joseph of Arimathea knows he has some enemies out there, and so he sneaks around. Can I get the body of Jesus? And, you know, as we just read, he, he does. He, he receives the body of Jesus and makes sure it has burial. So in this whole account, then, there are two people that you don't hear much about. We already talked about Simon and, here, and Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea. And, you know, Jesus said those who are late least in the kingdom will be, will be the greatest. And many times those who are the greatest will be the least. Well, here are two people here you never hear about. And yet they were there faithful, carrying out their job. At the, and, you know, we're going to see this in heaven. I imagine when we're in heaven, we're going to, maybe you're going to see someone say, what are you doing? You're saved. Oh, my. <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. But, you know, you'll probably see people who we don't know or don't have really not, not evaluated their wealth, and you'll see them in heaven and, you know, serving the Lord with all delight. And that's a wonderful thing that we all have waiting for us. And, you know, these two people, well, I wanted to get this across. Simon, we talked about Simon, remember? Joseph of Arimathea, and, and his job was to make sure Jesus had... See, everybody has a job. And Joseph of Arimathea's job is to make sure Jesus has a tomb in which to lay. Which causes me to ask us this question. What is your job? What does God have you on this earth for? What are you to do? Are you aware? What, are, you, are you aware of God's calling on your life, what he wants you to do? And what he would have you to do is different than what somebody else will do. And I guess another way I'm asking that, do we know what God's will is for our life? What, do I, am I doing what I understand God wants me to do? And if you can say yes to that, you, you know what? You're a free person. You're a contented person. But if you say, you know, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure, I don't, and you remain that way, you know what? You're not going to have the peace that you could have. And especially if you're fooling around with sin somewhere, you know you're not following the Lord. That's why tonight I'm going to close with a prayer. And if you know that there's unconfessed sin in your life, get rid of it tonight. Get rid of that stuff so that you can walk out of here and be a disciple of the Lord with full confidence and authority. Finishing this thing up here. Jesus is laid in a tomb. Recorded in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. That, that's verse 59. I said 50, I'm wrong. It's 20, Matthew 27, 59 and 60. And laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher, and departed. And so that pretty much puts an end to the events that took place on this day uh, that we remember. And um, so it ends, you know, with with Jesus being buried. And um, so the last thing I want to say to you tonight is this. Now, this is taking place on Friday, on what we call Good Friday. Now, how in the world this ever got the name Good Friday? I'm not sure, unless, you know, Jesus died and provided our way for sin. But, you know, you look about Good Friday, he went through a lot of suffering on, on Good Friday. But here's the thing you want to remember. We just looked at the sad events of Good Friday. But remember, 
Sunday's coming. And it's a whole different ball game. Can you imagine that? Yes, they're seeing all this tragic and blood and misery, and they don't know it at the time. But just a few days come, come, Sunday's coming, and they're going to have another whole new story. And it's a wonderful story. It's a tremendous story. And that's why we're here today, because Sunday came, and the Lord Jesus could not be held into the tomb, but resurrected and showed himself. The Bible says he showed himself alive with many infallible proofs. Because you can imagine people, you're not Jesus. People don't do this. And he shows himself alive with many infallible proofs. Guess what? That's why we're saved, and that's why we're here today, because Jesus resurrected. He went to the cross for us, bore the pain and agony and grief that we earned. We deserve to have all that. Took it in our place. Died, buried, resurrected, went into heaven, now serving as our prophet, our priest, and our king. And one day we will be with him if we have received Christ in our life. So I think it's only appropriate that I would close by simply asking the question, has everybody here received the Lord Jesus Christ into your life by faith? I'm assuming that's the case. But you know what? I learned never to assume that. And I learned that, gosh, um, I was talking to um, a good friend. Jim is his name. And he was in our church. We became very good friends. And, and you know, we did take his wife, my Vicky and did things. We got to, you know, knowing each other. <clears throat> and um, what I like to do when we have people in the church, obviously go in their home and visit with them. And so uh, the time came. I, hey, Jim, yeah, I'd like to come by and just give you a pastoral visitation. Yeah, okay, yeah. So I came by and so I'm, I was talking to him. And one of the questions I asked the newer people is, tell me, do you know when you got saved? Now, this is Jim who is active in our church, one of our leaders, and Jim says, well, I think it was about two weeks ago. I said, no, no, I asked you the question. Do you know when you got saved? Yeah, about two weeks ago when you gave the invitation. I received Christ at that time. Well, what were you doing all the other time? Well, I mean, I was raised in a church. I like a church. I want to help out the church and I can do things. But I never received Christ till two weeks ago. Praise God, that man's in heaven now. But, um, so, and the point I'm trying to make is, when I'm talking to the church here, or even to my home church, never assume everybody's saved. Maybe somebody here is not saved. I don't know. I mean, you're lovely people. I would assume you are. We love coming here, and all of you are just tremendous people. I hope you realize what kind of a church and congregation you have, because it's unusual, and it's really, we look forward to coming here. It's fun, and it's just, it's edifying, because you've got a wonderful congregation, and 